0: I was supposed to go to San Antonio this last week. I was asked to do a funeral, and it would have been an interesting funeral because the lady, the family of the lady who passed away, was a leading Democrat of San Antonio, and they wanted me to come do her funeral. And uh, I said, "Oh, I want to do Joyce's. I would love to do this. I've I've done her, her daughter, and her son's funeral. She was ninety, one of the finest ladies I ever knew. She would tell people." I love Steve's preaching. I hate his politics, but I love his preaching. But we had some of the most interesting conversations, and it gave me a little more insight into people I differ with, and yet we have much of a similar foundation in Christ. And what the Lord did in her life was one of the most amazing works of grace you could ever ask for. And so I was disappointed I couldn't make it down there. And then one note, I'll be watching two or three of you during this sermon today. And what I'll be watching for is if the Texas Longhorn make the Final Four. Just give me a little horn thing like this. If it pops up on your phone and I see that, it'll just make the day go even better. That really has nothing to do with church, but I used to when I was at at, at church in Panhandle. I had to always, you know, if you're a preacher, you miss all the Sunday football games. It's just because you work. That's your day of work. And so I would gauge the Cowboys' score by watching the men come in during the evening service. If they came in smiling, I knew the Cowboys won. And if they came in frowning, I knew the Cowboys had lost. So I'll be watching two or three of you today because I know who my horn fans are. So if I see something good, I'm going to go like this. All right. Let's get into the Magnificat today. Gabriel has come to Mary and give her the news. A little background on Gabriel. In first Enoch, if you read through First Enoch, you'll know there were four archangels, four very important angels. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Sariel. Supposedly, Gabriel, according to Enoch, wrote, uh, or what he did was he oversees paradise. Second thing is he's the one who was responsible for judging the watchers on the earth. It would be the Nephilim, the judgment that Israel would bring later on whenever they brought judgment on some of the uh, nations that they would come in and move out during that time. But what he's known for, and that we don't know is whether it's true or not, it's just in extra writings, but what we do know is that he interpreted Daniel's vision and Daniel 8, that he came and spoke to Daniel, gave him insight on what God wanted him to know. We know he also gave insight to Daniel on the 70-week prophecy. So he really came the first time when he's seen in Scripture, he came to let us know what is going to happen in the future, and really detailed quite a bit out. Now, when we jump to the New Testament, he's appearing twice again. He has already appeared before this to uh, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, and they have had a conversation, and he announced to him the coming of John the Baptist. And so you're familiar with that story. And then in Luke chapter 1, verses 31, Gabriel appears to Mary, and he gives her this word, You'll conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him... Jesus Mary's response to this unbelievable news, and I'm going to make this point through the sermon today. This is one amazing young woman. This is a woman of deep and abiding faith, of godliness. And so when she hears that, in Luke 1:38, she said this: "Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word." When it says, may it be done to me according to your word, it's one of the most powerful statements of faith that anyone could ever make. It's what we go back to Romans 4 and get the understanding of Abraham and how he became such an amazing man of faith because he, he got the point in his life, as we've talked about a couple of times over the year, that if God says it, he believes it, he trusts it, it's going to happen. Whenever she gets this word, she says, I want it to be done according to the word that you have given me. Then she goes and makes a visit to Elizabeth. And There, when Elizabeth sees her, she cries out with a loud voice and says, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb.'" Now we come to our passage, and this is Mary giving praise to God. It's an overwhelming time of joy. and In that, we're going to look at some insights of this lady that will help us as we enter the Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. I've had my lights up in my house for two weeks, the trees up for two weeks. We have no presents under the tree because uh, my kids all want cash now, and all my grandkids want cash. They don't want presents. So I dished out all the cash recently, so it's still empty under my tree. My bank's empty, but my tree. All right, stand with me. We're going to read this as we begin our celebration of our Christmas season. And I'll just say this y'all singing of a Holy Night was amazing. I had to stop for just a second, I had a choir behind me. Y'all may not sing in a choir a while, but that was amazing. I could listen to that all day long. So if we might want to close with... No, you don't have to do that. But I just love that song. All right, let's see what Mary does. Verse 46. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. He's had regard for my humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation upon generation towards those who fear him. He's done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has exalted all those who are humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and he sent away the rich empty-handed and he's given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his sins forever. Pretty amazing what she just said. This is a young lady. This is a reaction to the news that she will give birth to the Savior of this world. Join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the privilege and honor that we get to gather at Ridgecrest today as we begin the Advent season, begin to sing many of the songs, the Christmas songs that are very special to us because they tell of the coming of Christ Jesus our Lord and the impact and influence of his birth had upon each and every one of us in this room. It's a time to enjoy fellowship with family and friends during this season at church and at home and in the parties and the other things that we'll be doing. It's a special time of the year. But Father, as we gather today, help us to remember exactly the basis of everything that we do during this season is based upon the coming of the promise and the coming of Jesus Christ. May you be honored and glorified in all we do and say today is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. When I begin to look at this, and as I'm working through this, this was an assignment that the staff gave me to do today to fit in with what we're doing. I'm sitting there going, I'm just sitting in the maze of this little girl. Now, some of the uh, early church fathers have her as a, a teenager. I don't know. Uh, some of the early writings of um, uh, extra-biblical source has her as a very young lady. So Whether she's a teenager or in her early 20s, this young lady has an insight and understanding that a lot of times we don't see in, in people that age. But also to challenge us that at even a young age, we can know and understand all that God's doing and understand what His Word says. And so let's look at what she does. First thing I want you to notice as I look at this is that she knew the Word of God. I mean, she knew it well. She knew this thing in a most amazing way because this is a spur of the moment praise. This has not been sitting down, she wrote it all out, and now she's standing up and reading something she's researched and thought through. This is just a reaction to the news that has happened to her as she's walked into Elizabeth's house, as Elizabeth has spoken to her. And so she begins to say all of this. And as she goes through it, one of the things you need to know is, in verse 50, she picks Psalms 103. She quotes from Psalms 103. It's verse 17. In Psalms 103, the psalmist is speaking to himself. In fact, you sing a hymn, and you've sang it many times in your life, that comes from Psalms 103. It uses it, the foundation of that hymn. The hymn is, count your many blessings, name them one by one. That's what Psalms 103 Those words are not really found there, but the hymn writer used that passage because that's what Psalms 103 is about. The psalmist is reminding himself of the blessings of God, that he is grateful for everything that God has given him. And so Psalms 103 begins to unfold this amazing response to God's blessings. She quotes from verse 17 of Psalms 103 there in verse 50 of your passage when she says, The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Let me give you a couple of things of the Psalms 103 that you do know. Do you know the verse, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits? That's what she's referencing at this point. See, here's a young lady now who's been given this news, and she knows this is the most amazing blessing you could ever ask for in your entire life. She is not fearful of what's just been told her. She's not overwhelmed by this, but she just responds, and she quotes the one psalm that would address this better than anything else. Look what God's doing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, for all the benefits that you have brought to me. Uh, she'll close Psalms, or Psalms 103, close with, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. There's a famous New Testament scholar, John Stott, who says we have here in Psalm, this Psalms the authentic utterance of a redeemed child of God. We have with Mary the authentic utterance of a redeemed child of God, who piles up words to express God's gifts and acts in their lives. Our life should be very similar to that. That when you and I react to the news of God blessing us in amazing ways, that we should be able to respond with biblical statements and biblical themes of how great our God is. She does that in this, and then in verse 53 she picks from Psalms 107, and and that is in uh, verse, yeah, verse 53. Now you'd have to know a little bit of history at this point, but to the Puritans who came to America. This was the pilgrim psalm. This was what they held on to when they were on those little ships crossing the Atlantic Ocean, coming to America. They would go to Psalms 107. In fact, there's another hymn that the writer uses, Psalms 107, that would re- relate to us. This Psalms it says, describes the many dangers, toils, and snares. You ever remember the hymn there? She's about to enter a very difficult time within her life. Being the mother of Jesus is not going to be an easy job. This world is cruel and evil. Yes, the blessings of being the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you think of all the difficult moments she's going to encounter because of who he is. I would think one of the most difficult moments would have been, and it's not anything referenced within scripture, but how do you raise a perfect child? Can you imagine? I could see what we'd do in our house to the other two kids. Would you act like this child? They never do anything wrong. They would not like that at all. I think that's why Jesus' brothers had a little bit of difficulty with him and later thought he was crazy. It wouldn't be easy to do that, and I don't know about you, but there were no manuals given to Jan and I on how to raise three kids. In fact, we'd have needed three different manuals because they were always so different, each one that came along. She had no reference of how to be able to do this, so this life begins to unfold. And she walks through that, but then when he becomes 30 and she begins to see at first the amazing things that he's doing, but then the reaction of the world to him. She was going to enter many dangers, toils, and snares. And when you live within the culture like that, these kind of dangers are real beyond imagination. Uh, I've had three staff members work for me who have spent time in jail in the Middle East because of preaching the gospel of Christ Jesus. So I do fully grasp and understand that. I want you to know as she enters this time period of her life, this is not going to be easy for her at all. Yes, God's blessings are upon here. You know, a lot of times we think with God's amazing blessings that come and amazing grace poured out on us, then we get a cakewalk through life. That's not true. Sometimes with those great blessings, there will come great responsibilities and difficulties. That's why James says, "'Consider it all joy, my brethren, you encounter various trials, knowing the test of your faith produces endurance, so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in absolutely nothing.'" God not only gives us blessings but he gives us the strength and courage to walk through the most difficult times and we learn our greatest lessons through that. And so she picks this particular psalm and Psalms 107:9 it says for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. It's just simply this in the danger most dangerous of time as Mary's going to live God is going to honor her and meet her every need of her soul, of everything she's ever going to need. So here's a little girl that she's giving praise to God. Is giving praise for these unbelievable blessings. And then she gives praise because he will be there and watch over and take care of her. And so she quotes one from Psalms 103, one from Psalms 107. You know this verse from Psalms 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of his adversaries. Mary understood all that. She also uses God's Word to praise God based on His loving kindness and provisions. She'll reference Psalms 138, Psalms 98, Psalms 118. In this short little praise she does, she is based it completely and totally upon the Word of God with exact quotes and with the references to the themes and principles. See, God had not just chosen a young girl out of the crowd and said, okay, I'm going to let you be the mother of my son. No, He chose a young lady, a godly young lady who knew Him In fact, Elizabeth said to Mary whenever they meet, blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. This is a girl of faith. Amazing faith. She knew if God said it, it was true. That what God promised, he would do. And this young lady begins to live her life. Now, principle for us. Go back to our 2 Timothy study. In 2 Timothy 2.15 it said this, be diligent to present yourself approved of God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. I will tell you, Mary handled accurately the word of truth. She knew it, which tells me this. She had spent a lot of time thinking through this long before God chose her. She had a relationship. This doesn't, relationship doesn't come because God suddenly blesses her this way. It was real. So when this moment came, she's solid and strong. You know, I've referenced a couple times over the year that I've been here. When I go to Cuba, you want a tough place to preach? Preach in Cuba. Not because there are spies in the congregation, and if I say something political, the preacher gets in trouble and may go to jail. So I have to exercise any care of anything outside of the text. But what makes it difficult to preach there is, is that when I quote a verse or I say a verse... The people in the congregation begin to quote to me in Spanish exactly the verse I referenced on the spur of the moment. I, I told you a while back, I was preaching in Pinar del Rio at Calvario Bautista, and I was speaking, and I told my translator, he was president of the seminary, I said, Now, when I get to this point in my sermon, I'm going to read from Philippians 2 5 through 13. And I'm going to read the whole thing in English. I'm not going to break it so you can do bits and pieces. I'm going to read the whole thing. And then I want you to read the whole thing to them. Because I want them to hear the whole section of that. Had this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You're very familiar with that passage. I wanted to go all the way through that with them because it fit what I wanted to say. So I came to my part. I I backed the second up. I said, I'm going to do the passage now. Turn back to the congregation. I read it to them in English. And then he said this to his congregation. Repeat with me. Philippians 2, 5 through 13. And the entire congregation of about four to 500 people repeated back to me in Spanish, word for word, those passages. On the spur of the moment, with no knowledge that that was coming to them, I was stunned. I almost could not preach afterwards. Fact of the matter, when I got back to San Antonio, I tried it out on my congregation. Because we consider ourselves very biblical-based church, knowing the Word of God. And I was the only one who started, and I was the only one who finished. And nobody else knew where to start. See, guys, Mary is a little girl. She knows it. It's a challenge to us. You say, well, you know, my schedule, my time, and everything else. Well, I want you to know something. Technology is interesting. We all have these things now, right? Well, on my phone, and the horns still haven't got the news yet, so it's still not there. But on my phone, I have 7,000 books of my library. I have every commentary you can imagine. I have about 135 English translations. I have it in Latin, two or three. I have four or five or six different Greek translations. I have three or four Spanish translations. I literally have everything I could ever want on this phone. People used to tell me when I would pastor, especially in a military setting, I want to put my Bible on my desk so I can read it sometime during the day at the office, but it's not allowed any longer. I can't have my Bible on my desk. You have no excuse now. You've got the Bible with you. You know why I think we don't know the Word of God as well as we probably should? and I'm going to include myself within it because the culture in which we live in, we have so much going on around us. We have so much information come at us that we never break away long enough to think through all that he's telling us. Too often I'm too busy checking a score or doing this or texting friends or something like that instead of sitting there and thinking clearly through the amazing truth of God's word. In a slower society like Mary lived or in Cuba, they have nothing else to do and they hunger and thirst to know the word of God. So I'm going to challenge you today as you enter Christmas season that you and I get more hungry for his word, that we spend more time, that we grasp and understand it. See, I don't, if, if, if we're in the last days, and here's, I think, very important reason. If we're in the last days, and I don't know, as I said before, it's, not, it's above my pay grade, but it sure looks like we get close sometimes with what's happening around us. There are going to be many false teachers. and We're already, I think, seeing a lot of that in America today. The only way you're going to know, you know who the ones who are not deceived are? 2 Thessalonians 2 is very clear about this. The ones who will not be deceived by all the falseness that goes around are those of the ones who have a love of the truth. Paul's very explicit about that. Those who have a love of the truth will not be deceived. So my challenge to you and to me this day is, as we enter another Christmas season, let's re-challenge ourselves that we be like Mary, that we know His Word. Second thing I want you to notice about her is, is her knowledge of God, God's goodness and His grace, produces in this young girl amazing humility. This to me is almost similar to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 1 as she's praying that God would bless her with a child. I want to remind you that Proverbs tells us a fear of the Lord is is the instruction of wisdom and before honor comes humility. I think wisdom, knowledge will lead us to the point of having the kind of humility that you and I need to have in life. So if you look at verse 48, it says of Mary what? She's going to say this, For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Now, many have elevated Mary to a status that is not biblical today. I lived in San Antonio for 35 years. Mary had a status that I can't buy into at all among many who lived in San Antonio because of the Catholic influence and everything else. I think if Mary was here, it would be heartbroken to see how she'd been lifted up because she considered herself just a little girl, blessed of God, nothing special at all. Look at what it says, humble state. That can go two ways. One humble statement would be she was poor. Now we do know she was poor. We know because when she took Jesus to offer a sacrifice, they did what? Two turtle doves. And here's why you did a turtle dove. In Leviticus 12.8, if you can't afford a lamb, you can sacrifice two turtle doves. She couldn't afford the lamb, but she could afford to do that. So they were poor. But this word has a different, another meaning besides just the poverty that they would, may have been in in their lives. It has a second meaning. It's found in Philippians 3.21. Transform the body of our humble state in conformity with the body of His glory. This body I'm standing in right now, that is the only one I've ever had, is in a very humbled state. And it's getting more humbled as each day passes. I get up in the morning and I feel good. By the evening time, everything hurts. Neck, shoulders, back, feet, knees. I'm looking forward to the glorified state. I didn't look for it when I was young like some of you guys. I could have cared less at that moment. But the older I get, the more I look forward to it. The humble state is what all of us are in. We're just, in one sense, flesh and blood. We're just no different than anybody else. We're just average, which means nobody's better than us, but we're not better than anybody else. In this humble state, if left alone, we'd be separated eternally from the Father in heaven. That's why in Psalms, a psalmist makes an amazing statement. In, in Psalms, he's going to say this, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? This little girl who was living, growing up in Nazareth and then goes down to Bethlehem to have a kid, knows this, there's nothing special about me. But yet God looked down and has used me and blessed me. That attitude is critical in all that she does thereafter. Because she could become a very arrogant and good-for-nothing type of lady before it's over with. Because do you know who my son is? You're not going to hear that from Mary. Listen, if you don't back off, I'm going to have my son take care of you. You don't hear that from Mary. You see a woman who is amazing in everything that she does. Why? Because she knew that she gets to be a part of what God's doing. And the only reason she gets to be a part of God's do, what he's doing is because of his grace and mercy. That's what he's done to every one of us. Every one of us. And when you begin to see that, it has an impact on your life. But she also, when you go through this, she seems to understand what humility does and what arrogance does. Because in verse 51, she talks of arrogance. He's going to scatter the arrogant. So those who are in arrogant life, she's not going to be overwhelmed by them, nor worry about them, because God will take care of that. But what he will do is he will exalt in verse 52 those who are humble. She knows that the power and authority in the world will be brought down by the God in heaven because of their arrogance. He's going to send the rich away empty-handed, but he is going to take those who are humble and he will lift them up and he will bless them and use them in the most amazing ways. So what do we learn from this? Watch your arrogance. We all have to be careful of that. Every one of us, with any kind of privileges or opportunities that come our way, we might begin to think, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But Mary knew she had done nothing other than she had walked with her God. She had trusted her God. She believed in her God. She knew his word and she was willing to walk with him. And that he showed her favor, that she had found favor with the Lord. Luke 1.30. That's what Gabriel said. You found favor with God. She is overwhelmed by that and nothing but thankful and grateful for it. I was talking with a pastor the other day. He's been retired a couple years longer than me. And he said, you know, what to, to me... I can't believe God allowed me to do this for as long as I did and be used in the way I did. I'm just grateful. That's why he lasted as long as he did. It's a, a humility that is amazing. I've started going to lunch on Thursday morning with a bunch of old guys. I'm not that old, but I go with them. There's a guy that sits across from me, Dennis. When I, first few times I was with him, I got home and my daughter was over at the house and I said, do you know who this guy is? She said, well, I don't know him very well. I said, that is the most amazing man I've encountered in a long time. See what you, I want to, I want to, she came back later and said, he was chairman of every search committee. He's been a deacon. He's been a Sunday school teacher. He's the one who goes to hospital. He's the one who does this. I have never met anybody more humble in my entire life than this man. And we were talking in breakfast Thursday, and he just looked at him and says, You know, guys, before we go this morning, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning. We go at 6. He said, About 8, you guys pray for me. I don't want to dis- he's 80. I don't want to disappoint God. I want to finish well. I've been blessed to get this far. Would you just pray? Because I know I don't have the strength in myself, but I need God's blessings upon me. See, that kind of humility is what Mary brought. That's what God calls us to bring to the table. And Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. James, Jesus' brother, says this, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Mary knew that. And then quickly, one last thing. All this, her knowledge of the word, the humility, the blessings of God, everything in this point, if I want one word that does this entire thing, It's joy, joy, an amazing joy. When Gabriel spoke to her, he said, greetings favored one. It's perfect tense in the Greek. It means God showed you kindness. He'll keep showing you kindness. He'll show you kindness in the future. God's blessings were on her. And she says in verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced. And she says that word means with gladness. I've rejoiced with gladness. It's used of Abraham when Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Peter uses this when he tells the people as he wrote to in that first letter of his, you greatly rejoice with a joy and full of glory. Guys, Christmas time should be, we sing the hymn, don't we? Or the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. Do not think that's just something we do for Christmas to fulfill the time frame. It really is a reaction of every one of us who understands who Christ is, why he came, what he's promised us, what he's going to do, and when we go to be with him. This joy is real, and it should characterize everything that you and I do. This is not some ungiddied happiness and craziness about life. It's a settled quietness and gladness in my heart that all is well, that all is good. It's not that I'm ecstatically going crazy all the moment. Sometimes it's done quietly, just in quiet satisfaction that everything is good. Those who are older like me probably did this at Thanksgiving as you sat in your chair and you looked around and you saw your kids. My youngest will be 40 on Tuesday. He's making me old, so he'll be 40 on Tuesday. But I'm looking at my three kids and going, you know, they turned out pretty good. In spite of me, they've turned out pretty good. And there are my eight grandkids running around, and they're six foot one, six one, six two, uh, down to the little girl that's the cheerleader, and she's eight. And they're running all over the house. And then the seven dogs, and the pit bull was with them, and he hadn't killed any of our dogs yet, so it's good. And I'm sitting there in my chair, and the cowboys are winning, so it's good. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm not going, wow! isn't this amazing no but I'm sitting there quietly going it's good this is good the one thing I've learned about life is those are things that make us happy those are the things you see at work within you it's just good you have had blessings that God's given you through the most difficult of times and at that moment even though your heart may be hurting through the difficulty you just know something it is good joy is real Joy and sorrow can go hand in hand sometimes, but the joy is still real. Paul talks about that, about his joy, but also the sorrow. Jesus was filled with joy, yet he was a man acquainted with much grief and sorrow. Those can go together, but joy is real. And when you have joy, verse 46, joy leads to exaltation. A minute ago, when you were leading us in singing, and we're singing "Oh Holy Night, at that moment you guys were exalting the great name of who Jesus is. And even at that moment, sitting right there on the front row of that side, I could just stop for a moment and just listen. See, when that's what Mary's doing. This whole thing is about exaltation. She is not doing this because it's a religious activity. She sits there and stunned. And all that's unfolded in her presence. And how God is going to use her. And the days ahead are going to be stunningly amazing and unbelievably difficult. But God was going to walk her through. He will provide for her not only the blessings, but the provisions to get through. And so she then in joy begins to exalt who He is. She exalts His greatness and His joy. Hannah did the same thing in her prayer. My heart exalts in the Lord because I rejoice in your salvation. And Mary in verse 46, my spirit exalts the Lord, my spirit is rejoiced in the God my Savior. And remember Nehemiah's word, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's what gives you the strength to be able to live life to the fullest. You know, there could have been so many difficult emotions with the news that Mary got from Gabriel. As a young woman, she's told she's going to become pregnant, she is not married. And you know, in small communities, the difficulties that might bring, but you see no reaction or fear towards that. Whenever her husband begins to get word, Joseph, of that, he's at first thought, how am I going to push this off the side? But God spoke to him. So there was that she had to face, but she lets it go. No big deal. As a young woman, she trusted God. She had the knowledge of God. It produced her amazing humility. And at this moment, she's not fearful, but she's overwhelmed at the joy of God and the grace that He has given her in heaven so I conclude this way Christmas is more than just gifts it is more than the parties and it's more than the great food and desserts that we get to eat it's a time of celebration it's a time of celebrating that in the fullness of time Jesus came somebody a moment ago and something maybe read down here with the kids made or somebody in a song up here we were doing it made a reference to the promises in the Old Testament now being fulfilled. It said four centuries later. It was quiet for four. Well, back up to eight centuries before. Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagle. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Eight centuries later, at this moment, it is now becoming true. Because that's Isaiah 40. What's the first part of Isaiah 40 about? Well, Zacharias, at the birth of the John the Baptist, He said, you will be called the prophet of the Most High and you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way. Isaiah 40, he's referencing. That his son, John, was the one preparing the way. Guys, this story is being fulfilled eight centuries after Isaiah said. So this Christmas, here's what my challenge, you and me, is. Let's build our lives on the Word of God. Let's not be content with what we know now. May we press on. And become as knowledgeable as we can. Of the great truths of God's word. May we humble ourselves in the mighty hand of God. And when we do both of those. We will always rejoice. And Then I close with this. To go back to what the kids heard just a moment ago. You know why we can do all of this? Because that little word on that candle right in front of me. Hope. Hope. Romans 5.5 5 says hope never disappoints. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I will close with Psalms 130, verse 5. I will wait for the Lord, which is what Isaiah said to do. My soul will wait. And in his word, I do hope. So on this Christmas season, your hope's in Christ. You stand on that. And may this be an amazing time of rejoicing with family and friends in worship or in our home devotionals or in our worship around the tree when it comes Christmas Day. But guys, we're the most blessed people in all the world. Not a one of us really deserved to even be in this room right now apart from God's grace. But yet, He reached down and changed us in Christ. And He's given us a future. And there will come one day, I don't know when it is, But the trumpet will sound. A voice of the archangel will shout. And I basically think we'll hear, Come home. Come home. I'm ready for the kingdom. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. We thank you for Mary. She's an amazing example to all of us, to the men and women in this room and to the children. This little girl, she knew the word of God. She knew She knew you in such a way that it produced such an amazing humility about her. And she understood the difference between arrogance and humility, and it's expressed in her very words. And the joy that is overwhelming in what could have been a very difficult moment is so real that it spills out in this amazing song. So, Father, help us to have that same kind of response in our lives a hunger to know you, a hunger to walk with you, and a heart filled with joy. As we wait upon the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our hope. Our future. In Christ. Amen.